Hello, freaks and shrieks, and welcome to the Castle of Spirits True Ghost Stories podcast. I am your ghostkeeper, Jane. And I'm your ghostkeeper, Vince, and I am here to defend our listeners. You just called them shrieks and geeks. No, Wait, I called call them, them freaks and shrieks. Freaks and shrieks, okay. Mm-hmm. Great way to appeal to a wider audience. I mean, by it's just like me and you. You're well, the freak and I'm the shriek. Yeah, but do most people want to be like me? Probably no. That's I spent a lot of time no. thinking yeah. about scary things, mm-hmm. venturing through the halls of this great castle of spirits.com mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. scaring myself. Yeah, I think most people want to be that way. Anyway, we are here to read you some terrifying tales. That's kind of overdone, isn't it? Terrifying tales. We need a new one. What do you guys suggest? Uh, anyway, we're going to read you some stories from the Castle of Spirits archive. And I hope that at least one of you pees your pants a little. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sorry. Great. And, and if you do, I mean, because we it's hear scary, it. not just in general. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's probably going to be you, Vince. More than likely. <laughs> I may have already done so. <laughs> we shall see. But first, mm-hmm. Jane. Yeah. Do you have a story to share with me? Yes. And with the listeners today? Tell yes. us all about it. All right. The first story I'm going to read today is called Ghost Imitator in the Library, and it was submitted by Anonymous in Canada in February of 2012. I work in a library, and one evening I was doing a busy shift at the reference desk. As it got later, I realized that I had left my keys on my desk in the staff area, and that all my colleagues had left for the day. I walked across the library, which was brightly lit and crowded with students, to the staff door to see if it was locked. It was, but looking in the window, I could see one of my co-workers sitting at her desk. All the lights were turned off except the one over her desk, and I could see her clearly, typing away with the light from her computer monitor shining on her face. I was surprised because I had seen her leave hours before but I thought she must have returned while I was busy with a student. She was sitting only about three meters away from where I stood, so I knocked on the door to get her attention so that she would unlock it and let me in. I was somewhat surprised when she did not look up or react in any way, and I knocked again, watching her through the window the entire time. Again, she did not react in any way. Giving up, I turned and went around the corner. There was another rarely used door there, but I thought I might get lucky and find it unlocked. I did, and I walked into the office to find that my colleague was not at her desk and the whole area was in complete darkness. The light over her desk and her computer were both turned off, and I saw that her coat and bags were gone. It had taken me just seconds to go from the window around the corner and through that other door, not even enough time for her to get up and leave the office without my noticing, let alone turn things off, gather her things, and leave. I don't know exactly what it was that I saw through the window that night, but it was clear to me that it wasn't her. I worried all that night that it was a premonition and that something bad had happened to her, but she was there the next day and all was normal. I never told her about what I saw that night for fear that it might disturb her. 
But that is not the end of the story. About a month later, I was working late one Friday evening. It was about 7 p.m., and the library had closed at 5, so I was alone in the building. But that's not an unusual occurrence for me, and I was not thinking about ghosties or feeling anxious in any way. Finally, I gathered up my things to leave and headed out through the library and toward the front door. Directly before the exit, there's a security gate, which beeps when someone tries to walk through it with an item that has not been signed out. Directly behind me, about five meters back, is that information desk that I mentioned before. Well, as I passed through the gate, it made a peculiar noise. Not the usual three distinct beeps, but one long, slow, wavery beep. I stopped and turned around to look at the gate, thinking with annoyance that I would have to call in the next day to report that it was malfunctioning. As I turned, I happened to look up and see someone standing in my usual spot at the information desk. Surprised, it took me a moment to realize who was standing there. It was me. Needless to say, I fled. I just did not want to know what was going to happen next. Those were certainly not the last eerie encounters I had at the library, although that year did seem to be more active than usual. But of all those encounters, seeing myself? That was by far the scariest. So thank you again to Anonymous in Canada for submitting Ghost Imitator in the Library all the way back in February 2012. Vince, what did you think about that story? Oh my God. It's a <laughs> doppelganger. It's something, right? I I really liked that story. Uh, you know, I thought it was creepy, the whole seeing her colleague thing. But when it got to the end and she saw herself, <laughs> I knew that I was reading that episode today. That It gave me the chills. Like, I can't even imagine... It's one thing to look over and see someone you know and think, oh, I didn't realize that they were still here. But I can't think of an instance where you would see yourself and not be completely confused and freaked out. It's That's just a terrifying thing. And I think there's uh, all too few movies and creepy TV shows that deal with doppelgangers. Yeah. Uh, but in every, almost in every situation, the person is either pursued by the doppelganger or they pursue the doppelganger. Mm -hmm. There's some sort of stupid fight to the death, right? Yeah. But what's real about this story and what makes me really believe that it happened to her is the fact that she just saw that and she's like, okay, I'm out of here. And she splits. And (laughs) that's the the thing that most people I think would do if, if they were faced, if they looked, if you looked out the window and you saw yourself walking down the street, what do you do? You call the police. You wouldn't go running after the person. I think I'd just be like, Oh, that's, that's enough outside for today. And I'd close the curtains and yeah. And then go sit in a fetal position, rocking back and forth. That, Mm. that is about just about the most terrifying thing you can think of. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I don't know. It gets under your skin. Mm-hmm. When people see things that shouldn't be there, people that shouldn't be there, ghosts, people have died, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That's one thing. But if it's you. Yeah. Like what kind of an explanation is there for that? 
right aside and, and the from various, a doppelganger right and the, and, the, and any other explanation is equally terrifying like you're losing your mind okay mm-hmm. that's one of the most terrifying things you can think of as well yeah uh there's actually you know going back to what you said about there's not enough doppelganger type exploration in movies so much these days but it made me think of there's that really good movie it was kind of strange and quirky and dark that we watched a few years ago called The Double with Jesse Eisenberg. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. I feel like you never remember that movie. I always bring it up and you're like, no, I don't remember that. It's a very dark. Yeah. And I just, I remember seeing a lot of brown suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you do remember it. So that was a really interesting movie, I thought. And I'd like to watch it again soon, I believe. But if you haven't seen that movie and you're interested in the whole doppelganger thing, I highly recommend it. The Double is from 2013. And mm-hmm. if you yourself have ever had an experience with oh, a doppelganger man. or seeing somebody that you work with that's not there, All putting, in some, putting in some ghostly overtime, <laughs> let us know. Yes, otherworldly overtime. So you got to make it an alliteration. It's always scarier if it's an alliteration. And speaking of things that should never be there, mm-hmm. I've got a story to tell today. Plucked it from the Castle of Spirits archives. This one was written in October of 2000, submitted Ooh. by Anonymous in Massachusetts, USA. And this one's called The Angry Ghost on the Stairs. That's a great title. Right? Yeah. Well, wait till you hear the story. So I'm, just, you know, okay. just settle down and wow. and tuck in and get ready for this. Because you're going to get scared. Wow. You may even pee. I live in Salem, Massachusetts, where haunted houses are so common that many people assume the phrase creepy house means haunted. Creepy houses usually don't feel creepy to me. So hearing the warning that I'm about to enter a creepy home usually doesn't register on me. This story concerns one of the more famous haunted houses though I didn't know it until a few minutes after I experienced it firsthand. The Joshua Ward House was built, I believe, around 1750, on the site of the home of the High Sheriff, who had imprisoned and hanged the accused witches in the 1690s. At the time of his death, he was so reviled that his family buried him in the cellar to prevent public desecration of his corpse. He remained buried there up until the late 1700s, when he was finally given a proper burial. As if having the high sheriff in the cellar wasn't bad enough for the Joshua Ward house, the ghost of Giles Corey, the one who was pressed to death with stones, was also rumored to have remained near the sheriff and his family. It's a stately old building, pinched into a tiny parcel in the middle of the business district, but perched up on its own hill which makes it seem far removed from the traffic and the city sounds. It was not unpleasant when my fiance, a real estate agent, found that her company had bought the famous house to use as its headquarters. She was very unhappy though to discover that she was going to have to be the last person working in the building for two hours all by herself at night and that she would have to shut out the lights and lock up. To make matters even worse, it was Halloween week, meaning that night fell early as the clocks had just moved back to standard time, and every Salem street corner was crowded with witches, vampires, and werewolves, some of them a little too serious about it all. For that reason, she asked me to keep her company. 
Without thinking, I agreed, and even brought my five-year-old son. Night was falling as I climbed the stone stairs to the front door, and I knew something was wrong before the massive door even opened. As I stepped into the bright light foyer with its massive staircase, my hands were clammy, my stomach knotted, the same feeling you get entering a funeral home. Inside, the disoriented feeling did not go away. As the door closed behind me, I had the impression of a glaring light on the front steps, and I found myself squinting in response. The light seemed to resolve into a bee swarm of tiny pinpoints of light, but it was moving too. The mass seemed to come down the stairs to approach me, but then it backed away and it went up, lingering. I had the distinct and crazy impression that there was an old woman on the stairs, an angry old woman, angry at me. She did not want me to come near. She was menacing me, ordering me to keep away. I'm stating this as a fact because that's how it felt. What made this even scarier was that it was just an empty staircase, and here I was seeing things that were not there. My five-year-old son sent something in the hall too, saying, I feel like there's a ghost in here. I always pretended not to believe in ghosts to my son, to spare him bad dreams and irrational fears. And yet here I was, in a state of fear, telling him to go into the next room, the old conservatory, I suppose, and play with a puzzle. I was so rattled and alarmed by the strange combination of feelings and events, and I had no intention of turning my back on the thing on the stairs. So I sat there for almost two hours, in a chair, a few feet from the staircase. She continued to look at me, sometimes going upstairs a bit, then coming back. It was as if she were afraid to turn her back on me. At times, it felt she would try to turn and go, but then she'd whip around and lash out some inaudible words at me. There was one brief moment of shock, like having a bucket of water thrown in my face, when she was looking at me. For just a second, I felt that she was actually looking at me and I at her. She knew that I was there and knew that I knew she was there. The sudden realization that I was making eye contact with a ghost made me stop breathing, as if waiting for an explosion. It was fortunate for me that the real estate agency had installed motion detectors on the staircases. They were already turned on when we arrived, so there was no question of my going up the stairs. A good thing, because my initial fear was turning into a weird fascination. I find it hard to believe that I would have approached the thing on the stairs but the mixture of fear and fascination had some unpredictable effects. I was the last one out the door that night, and I backed out, unable to turn my back on the stairs until the door clicked behind me. To this day, I want to avoid ghosts. For me, at least, the sensation is just a little bit like going crazy. There's a brief postscript about the house, which I intend never to enter again. When we drove home shortly after the event, we found a local newspaper called North Shore Sunday on our porch. Its cover story was a Halloween feature piece written by a famous Ghostbuster in which he visited the most haunted places in Salem. The first site in the article was the Joshua Ward House. 
The Ghostbuster noted the presence of a ghost on the front stairs. He attempted and failed to photograph the stairs. All of the pictures came out with a nest of pinpoints of light. And that was The Angry Ghost on the Stairs, submitted by Anonymous. Anonymous is a very... Very prolific writer. Prolific writer. Mm -hmm. This time in Massachusetts, USA, from October of 2000. And you can read that story at castleofspirits.com, or you can just rewind it and play it again. Look at me showing my age. Listen to it again. Let's rewind. (laughs) Scrobble back. (laughs) So what'd you think of that story? I thought it was pretty cool. That was great. Even I've heard of that house. Uh, It's... I've seen, a, you know, it featured in a couple, like, you know, haunted, haunted house documentaries, and it's a scary place. It's a beautiful old house. I believe that the courtroom where all of the trials, the Salem witch trials were held, I, I believe it was in that house because, you know, he was the judge, but his house was also like the courthouse. The high sheriff, is mm-hmm. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I do remember that. I had this mental image of having, it was one of those haunted histories shows that Mm -hmm. we love so much. Mm -hmm. And I remember them showing the floor where he had been buried. Yeah. And me thinking because of the horrible things that that person did to those poor people who were accused of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. And if they were witches, so what? Yeah. Right. And I remember thinking they should have kept him there. (laughs) Right. Well, I don't know. He was being protected. Well, I I just mean to, to, for people to be able to trot upon his oh, I gotcha. grave. Um, I, I could be completely wrong on this, and please feel free to uh, let me know if I am. But I th- Oh, I will. Think, not you. Oh. I think that where the people were hung is on that property as well. I could, I could be wrong about that. If it is, let me know. If it ain't, let me know. But all this does remind me that Salem, Massachusetts is a place I would love to visit. Uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Both of us. Yeah. Some people want to go to Paris, others to London. We want to go to Salem. Mm-hmm. We want to go to, where's the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast? Uh, <laughs> I just went, I was going to tell you like, duh, <laughs> but my head went empty. <laughs> no, I have to look it up. I, no, I got to get it before you. Falls River. Is I know. It? Falls River. Fall River. Fall Fall River, Massachusetts. uh, All without the help of Google. I knew it was something about a fall. Yeah, Fall River, Massachusetts. Anyway, put that on the list. I mean, we have Massachusetts, you spooky. True indeed. But California is spooky too. We've been to the Winchester Mystery House Mm -hmm. half a dozen times. Mm -hmm. And we stayed at the uh, Queen Mary in Long Beach. Yeah. The Stanley Hotel. That's not in California. Well, it starts with the C, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, we got to stay in room 217. The famous. We did have a very scary experience in that. We had a. We I had think a we very told that creepy story, experience. Didn't we? I don't know if we have or not. But it doesn't have anything to do with this episode, so we'll save it for another time. And well, if you guys want to hear it, let us know. Mm-hmm. So, Jane. So, Vince. Lest this show mm-hmm. be all too short okay. for our beloved listeners mm-hmm. and. Boo loved listeners. Boo loved listeners. <laughs> ah, yes. Man, she's quick. I am. Do you have another story? To share with us. I do. Oh, oh, good. And I don't know why I do this to myself, but I like to pick stories that have words in them that I can't pronounce and that I'm probably completely butchering, but I'm, but I try. So this story is called, it's probably not called this at all, but this is what we're, what we're landing on. Wow. We're really in for it today. Yeah. This story is called The Laja Blaze and it was submitted by 
Anuradha D. Kumar, in Georgia, USA, February 2006. Caution to all men. This experience was one of my great uncles. Unfortunately, I never met him. However, the story of his experience lingers on in his generations. Firstly, the story takes place on the island of Trinidad, which is located at the end of the chain of islands of the Caribbean. I was brought up there myself until the age of 14, so I can safely say I believe my great-uncle's story, which was told to me by my grandmother. It occurred on the regular morning. My uncle usually started off for work at 4 a.m. every day. He worked in a factory a little way from his house, and since there were no cars back then, he used his bicycle. Now this part of the island was not developed yet, so there were no buildings, mainly grass and tall ones at that. The nights were really dark, so at 4 a.m. my great-uncle was one of the few people who were out at that time of morning. With just the light from his lamp he had hooked onto his bicycle, it only lit the path in front of him. Upon riding down the road, he faintly made out the figure of a woman not too far in front of him. Being a good man and finding it peculiar that a beautiful woman would be out by herself this early, he stopped to ask her why she was out so early and if he could help her get somewhere. In turn, she was very flirtatious and said, No, but you can keep me company. Well, my uncle got off his bicycle and began walking with her, talking and laughing. Sometime after, he happened to look down and realized that she was walking with one foot on the path and the other was hidden in the bushes. Back in those days, the La Jablaise was a common demon. It was mischievous and would only appear as a beautiful woman to lure men. It would bedazzle them... Sorry. It's like, Literally bedazzled It's him? like shooting sequins all over his jacket. Wow. Sorry. It would bedazzle them and unconsciously take them deep into the forest and either leave them there to catch their death or kill them. No one knows for certain since no one ever came back to tell the story. The only known way to protect yourself from Elijah Blaze was light or fire. Becoming more aware of his senses and surroundings, my uncle realized that he was a long way past where he was supposed to be. He was terrified. He jumped on his bicycle and began pedaling as fast as he could back to safety. The La Jablaise let out the most horrifying laugh you could imagine, one that would make your heart want to jump out of your chest. She began to run behind him, screaming in a demonic voice. You won't get away today, Ramnuth. I'll catch you. And continued laughing. She was also throwing pebbles at his bicycle in hopes that the bicycle will seize and he would be thrown off. In his state of panic, my uncle remembered he had matches in his pocket. Being a smoker, he always had matches. He pulled out a cigarette he had rolled in his sleeve and lit it. With that, she stopped chasing him almost immediately and said, You're lucky today, Ramnath. 
you get away. When my uncle finally arrived at the factory, the other workers began to question his whereabouts. Upon relating his story, some of the workers had their own tales to tell. After my uncle's episode, the owners of the factory changed the hours of operation and began having the workers come in to work at daylight. Soon after, American companies began buying the land, clearing the bushes, etc., and built buildings. Thank you again, Anurada D. Kumar in Georgia, USA, for submitting the La Jablaise in February 2006. So, Vince, how'd you like that story? Okay, I have a question. Okay. So, is the demon like a mosquito or something? He lights a cigarette and it goes away? Mosquitoes <laughs> don't like cigarettes? Isn't like smoking a thing that, that people do when they want to keep bugs away and so the smoke sort of repels the, the insects in some- I don't know. I thought it was a thing. But they said in the story that the only way to rep- repel the demon was with fire. Oh, and okay. Mm-hmm. I must have just been fixated on the smoking thing because it was- Because I, you are jonesing. Oh, look, I quit a long, long time yes, ago. Yes, you did. And my lung feels great. It's just the one lung, actually. <laughs> but I've Name always- that movie. But I have always been fascinated with stories, and there are far too few of them, mm-hmm. where the habit of smoking saves someone's life. Yeah. Like somebody who's, you know, who- goes out to have a smoke before the plane takes off or whatever, the bus before the bus leaves Mm -hmm. and the bus takes off and he misses the bus, but the bus crashes off a cliff or something. I just made that up off the top of my head. You can Uh see what a creative mind I have. Uh Wow. So I really loved the, the reason I landed on that story and decided to read it when he turned around on his bicycle and she was running after him screaming. Yeah. That was terrifying to me it gives me chills to think about it and throwing pebbles at the mm-hmm. at the spokes of the, of the yeah. bicycle trying to try to run them off oh my <laughs> like god a, like an old buster keaton movie or something i don't know buster keaton buster keaton meets the lager what was it called <laughs> the lager blaze the lager blades blaze i probably pronounced that really poorly if you know how it's actually pronounced i would actually appreciate um if you would send us a message. Well, how are they going to, they're going to write it out phonetically? They can write it out phonetically. They have the Googles. The Googles could teach you. Yeah. Have you ever Googled how to pronounce something and watch those videos? It's They're all different. They're all different. And every pronunciation you could come up with are represented in those videos. So do I trust the Google? No. Do I trust our listeners? Significantly yes. more, yeah. Significantly more, I would more, say. Yes. say. Mm-hmm. Jane, I have to say, I am having so much fun reading these stories. I, I would hope so. And I hope I hope that somebody out there is having so much fun listening to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm about to spoil that fun. Uh-oh. I have a story here that was submitted in May of 2015. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. We have stories from 2000 that we just read, mm-hmm. now 2015. Mm-hmm. We have many, many eras. Yes, we do. Would you say we have a plethora of eras? Um, yeah, we have a plethora. Jane, what is a plethora? Why? Well, you you said we have a plethora. I just want to know if you know what a plethora is. I would like to think that a person like you would tell someone that they have a plethora and find out that person has no idea what it means to have a plethora, Jane. Well, forgive me. I know that I do not have 
your superior intellect and education, but... Well, you know, you do have a plethora. We do have a plethora. This castle has a plethora of eras of stories. That's what I'm trying to get to the point of. I will take your word for it now that I'm offended and embarrassed. So please read your plethora story. Now that I've ruined everything, let me continue to ruin this. Great story called Straw Hat Man. I've been keeping this to myself for really most of my life, but an image keeps popping into my head. An image from my childhood, which I had initially blocked out. I sort of believe in the unknown, like ghosts and extraterrestrials and stuff, but this entity I saw was something I've never understood or even known about until now. Let me take you back to 1995. Oh, please do. Let's go. Speaking of plethora of let's go back to 1995 when i first discovered the strange being at my childhood home in forest park georgia it was just a regular day at the house my dad was at work and my brothers and i were home alone which was a recurring event since babysitters couldn't stand to be in the house due to strange occurrences that seemed to be ghostly in origin so yeah we kind of had a ghost but that's not the story here Because as one of my brothers would reveal to me in my adult years, it was all made up. Now, I know what you're thinking. If my brother made that up, then surely the straw hat man was another myth. My response is that he admitted that he had nothing to do with this image and don't call me Shirley. The reason I don't believe that the straw hat man is a myth that my brother created is that I actually saw it. I never saw the supposed ghost in our house. I only experienced different tricks that my brother employed to fool me into believing in him. Anyway, I was hanging out with my brothers in their room, and we were playing games like the Batman game, and then we played a card game. We liked to play games when we were alone, or go into the forbidden dining room where we'd play the piano and play all the vinyl records our dad owned. Before we got ready to go into the dining room, my brothers were halfway out of the bedroom door when I noticed something in the corner of my eye. I went to the window and pulled open the blinds, and there he was, standing and staring straight into my soul. He didn't necessarily look like a spirit, but he certainly did not look human. I remember the yellow straw hat, his crooked pale hands, his black pants, and I distinctly remember him tipping his hat in my direction. It was chilling. He smiled, and then he was gone. It felt like a lifetime that I was looking at him, looking at me. My brothers came in at that point and told me to hurry up, and I just sort of forgot about the sighting. Until a few weeks ago, when I woke up from the worst nightmare ever. He was back. He was looking in at me while I was sleeping. He smiled at me, and he put his crooked finger to his lips as if to silence me. The nightmare ended when he reached in to shake me awake. After that dream, I found it very difficult to shake what had happened. It was like he stepped back into my subconscious and weaseled his way back into my memory. So I decided to call my brother and ask him about the strange goings-on in Forest Park, starting with the ghost. That was when he told me about making it up just to play with us. But then I mentioned Straw Hat Man, and he confessed to also seeing him at different times when he was alone. I was shocked. I thought I was the only one. But as it turns out, it was real. 
My brother saw him, and I saw him, and my brother would tell me if he'd made it up, because he also told me about the ghost. You can believe what you want, but I know what happened. If anyone else has seen this thing, which my brother says is a shadow man, let me know. I really want to find out if others have had this experience, and I really want to know what it was, since it's basically been haunting me my whole life, even when I didn't know about it. And that was submitted by Anonymous in California in May of 2015, Straw Hat Man. Not a horror story about pizza, but about some sort of creature. Pizza? Oh, that's right. You don't have Straw Hat Pizza here. No. Straw Hat Pizza, it was a thing in California when I was growing up. He was from California. He was, indeed. But I wonder if that is... Like a version of Top Hat Man. And maybe like his his young brain just interpreted it different or, you know what I mean? Because everything about it kind of sounds like Top Hat Man. Right. And it's one of these, isn't it a, a cross between a cryptid and a shadow person? Yeah. It's almost like a shadow person who's t- begun to take shape. That's kind of features. the impression that I get too. Yeah. Top Hat Man is kind of kind of straddles the line there between a physical thing and a, a like a psychological, not psychological, uh, spectral. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I think saying that it's a psychological thing makes it sound like the people who see it are having psychological episodes, and that's not what I mean at all. Right. We did talk about the Top Hat Man mm-hmm. in a past episode, but that was a long time ago, and I don't remember much about that. I kind of feel like we should do another Top Hat Man episode, you know, uh, focusing on stories about, you know, experiences people have had. So, yeah, if you have any Top Hat Man stories, man, we would so be here for that. So send them to us. Send us your Top Hat Man stories. And if you're big fans of Straw Hat Pizza, let us know. I haven't had Straw Hat Pizza in really 150 that. years. Yeah. Um, but it, I would love to do a Top Hat Man show while eating Straw Hat Pizza, okay. but I guess that's not going to happen. And anything that, you know, if you have a story that you're like, well, it wasn't really Top Hat Man. Well, Straw Hat Man isn't really Top Hat Man, yet here we are. So when in doubt, just send it to us. We actually just want all stories that you have to send. They don't even necessarily have to be paranormal. Yes, they do. Mm, (laughs) If they're just like mysterious and weird, yeah. All right. Okay. New challenge issue. We're going to open the doors. To the listeners. If you've had just a mysterious or or weird Mm -hmm. experience, Mm -hmm. we're talking what? What are the parameters here, though? Um, It has to be mysterious in that you don't know what it was and it has to be weird in that you still think about it and go wtf yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah i like this idea yeah i like this idea because there is room in the castle for more than just ghost stories mm-hmm. more than just the cryptids. castle can hold us all it can hold everything mm-hmm. you should see this place it's yeah it's really it's enormous big. it's really big it's almost as big as the internet itself i think it is the internet itself oh how creepy yeah the internet is haunted <laughs> for reals. I'm in a I'm in a group on Facebook. It's a cryptids group and it's mostly like memes and it's funny and everything, but every once in a while they kind of go down this rabbit hole where, where someone will say, "Oh, I actually saw a cryptid." And they'll submit like they'll just post their story there. 
And um, I try not to read those because I'm like, it's just going to make me sad that I can't read them on the podcast. So I know that everyday Joes out there have stories because you just post them for free in Facebook groups. So When you can post them for posterity here at the Castle mm-hmm. of Spirits, mm-hmm. we'll see who's still around in another 25 years. That's right. Take that, Facebook. And speaking of taking that. Zuck it, Mark. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we have here a message from listener Jeff. Jeff actually submitted a story mm. that we read mm-hmm. a couple episodes back. I remember. And I, I, I really wanted to share this because it made me smile. And I want to read it to you, Jane. Okay. It says, hello again, spirit masters. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm not that good. I just wanted to let you know that since you resumed the podcast after the summer hiatus, your show has become the highlight of my week. Oh, that makes us so happy. It's also the highlight of my week, too. For, it really is, yeah. It was such a nice surprise to hear Vince read my unexplained sight and sound story. Mm-hmm. And then I hear Jane read my lounge comment a week or two later. <laughs> Keep up the incredible work. I especially appreciate when you include definitions or descriptions of various paranormal terminologies in your commentary. Ah, he Good makes us sound a lot smarter than we are now. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh God, we did we screw up this week? We never even got to the definition of plethora in this episode. So, yeah. But we did have a laugh in the process. Anyway, Jeff continues. You clearly try to avoid directly debunking any of the stories, but you bring a nice tone of respectable skepticism when a story seems to strain credulity. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank uh, you. Yeah, I... I don't, we don't, and we don't, we're not making fun of these stories. No, no, no. Um, But when there's something in there that just makes me sit upright and go, wait a minute, what? Or makes me laugh. Or makes us giggle because, you know. Why hide it? Bedazzle. (laughs) Sorry. I can't say the word bedazzle without thinking about just rhinestones everywhere. Everywhere. On everything. And it gives me a sense of uh, anxiety to think about rhinestones being everywhere. Okay. So let's not. Um, So we actually have a message in the lounge. Oh, cool, cool. And it just says, it's from Anonymous, again, the the prolific Anonymous, uh, where are the photos of the ghosts? (laughs) (laughs) So the Castle of Spirits, uh, if you're new to the podcast, if you're new to Castle of Spirits, the Castle of Spirits website has been around since 1997 when it was started by Rowena Gilbert in Australia. And since then, under Rowena's care, and then after her untimely passing, it fell to Don and, you know, under his care, and then uh, Don passed it on to us. And through all of these, I mean, decades really at this point, it, the castle has undergone some big changes, some major renovations. Things come and go. Stories have been lost. Well, uh, you have to do that to keep the spirits active because if you leave them, they become for sedentary too long. and exactly. they get they get lazy. And so, one of the things that was lost at some point during one of the renovations of the castle were the ghost photos. There used to be a section on the website for ghost photos. And when we took the castle over, that link was still in the menu, but there was nothing in the link. And I searched and searched in the, you know, the the closets of the castle, and I was never able to find the photos that used to be on the website. So I, I don't... think I even searched the Wayback Machine too. Did you? 
I did, and, and I don't. I wasn't able to find. We weren't them. able to find them. But if so. anybody does find them, let us know. Yeah. So we don't have the photos now, um, but in this day and age, where all of us have little photo studios and you know uh, cameras. <laughs> I don't know what I was getting at. Where they we all a, have, a they have a camera on my in phone. our pocket. There's no reason why we can't build that thing back up. So, oh, I thought you were going to say that this day and age, with the ability to just use a filter to create a ghost on a regular <laughs> image, it's, it's, these aren't as prized as if, they once were. But no, if you happen to have a great ghost photo, and here I am going to say something that is very controversial, very controversial, oh, and no. I understand that, but I'm saying it. I'm saying what I'm saying, and I'm sticking by it. If you're going to send us your ghost photos, we are here for them. However, I'm I'm not going to publish photos of orbs. I'm sorry. You mean dust? Yeah. It's all kinds of things. Or I, cigarette smoke. I did ghost hunting enough uh, several years ago, and I myself have captured a, a plethora <laughs> of photos of orbs and not a single one was anything other than a bug or a dust or bugs and dust or raindrops. And um, I'm, I'm not compelled by orbs. So. Yeah. Anytime I see people orb photographs on mm. like shows like ghost hunters or something like yeah, that, look, I just roll my orb. eyes and I reach for the remote control. <laughs> yeah. So please do send us unexplainable photos that you might have, but orbs ain't it. And and I'm not saying that every single orb photo on the planet is not bugs, dust, rain, whatever, but especially orbs and videos where somebody oh, throws open a door and I, a bunch of orbs go flying by. Yeah, so I actually have a really good orb story that kind of illustrates my point here. When I was ghost hunting with with this group that I used to be with, we were in a basement of this old like house that had been converted into a theater somewhere in the town here that we live in. And this basement was gross. And I mean, the house is probably, it's probably at least a hundred years old by now. Uh, there was standing water in this basement, uh, stone walls, not concrete, not brick, like stone and mortar walls, just really an awful place. It was awful. And we're down there and we had all of the lights off. And the only light that you could see anywhere in this basement was from the little viewfinder screen of the video camera that we had set up. It was a stationary camera on a, on a tripod in the middle of the puddle. I mean, the floor in this basement. And it was just kind of pointing at this one corner and it had, you know, the, the infrared, the night vision. So we were just kind of doing our thing, talking, you know, recording EVP, all that stuff. And looking at the little uh, readout screen, all of a sudden we see this orb and it comes down and it's kind of like in the middle of the readout screen. And somebody was like, oh, look, look at this orb. Let's ask it a question. And so we would ask a question, um, you know, whatever kind of questions you ask. Did you die in this house? And the orb would start bouncing and it would kind of move around. And we're like, oh, it's, you know, it's trying to communicate or whatever we were saying. And then it would stop and we'd ask another question and maybe it would move, maybe it wouldn't move. And so we kind of started taking it to mean that when it moves, 
It's responding in the affirmative to our question. When it doesn't move, it's basically saying no. And we stood there and talked to this bouncing orb in front of the screen for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. After a little while, when the orb was moving, someone decided, I'm going to turn on my flashlight and point it in that area and just see if I see anything, see if anything changes on the the viewfinder screen. So somebody asks a question and the orb is moving around in the screen. I mean, it would come up really close. It would almost disappear. It was it was really doing, you know, some movement when we would talk to it. So the guy turns on his flashlight. And do you know what was right there, Vince? I don't know, but I have a feeling you're going to tell I'm me. I'm going to tell you. Right there, there was this long clump of spider web oh, with a little shit. ball of spider web fluff at the bottom. <laughs> and this basement... It was small, and there were about five of us in it. And spiderweb is so thin and so lightweight that when you would speak, if you were pointing directly at the spiderweb, your breath would blow it. So we experimented with it a, a, for a few more minutes. We would speak pointing directly at it and it would bob and it would weave and with the flashlight on it you could see the spider web doing its thing and when you turn the flashlight off it returned to this oh orb that was bobbing and weaving with our breath and uh yeah i think it was right there where i was like oh yeah orbs equal not paranormal and if you know if you had had if your group had had no scruples mm-hmm. that Absolutely. piece of video could have ended up on sightings or Absolutely. something. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we would also get lots and lots of little orbs when we were at a cemetery at night that um, it didn't, it wasn't necessarily raining, but maybe, you know, you get that tiny, tiny little misty sprinkle. Yeah. Oh, that's orb city. So many orbs those nights. Yeah. Okay. So the, the bottom line is. Don't send me orb photos. Know the difference between orbs <laughs> And clumps and of spider webs. Clumps of spider webs. <laughs> and if you can interact with them, make sure there's nobody pulling the string. Yeah, you know, question. So I'm not trying to SHIT on anyone's uh, experiences. I think the term is poop. Okay. While out, you know, doing ghost hunting, I think that people should do ghost hunting. I'm not saying that it's not, you know, that you can't actually have real experiences that are terrifying and that you can't explain. You absolutely can. I I have myself many times. What I'm saying is question those experiences, see if you can duplicate it, see if you can find any kind of an explanation. You know, don't just see an orb or a mist or something and immediately jump to this was a ghost. Don't be the guys on TV with the camera crews following them around that believe everything. Go ahead and be freaked out by it, but then, you know, question it and and see if it could be anything else. Jane, I must say you are blinding me with science right oh, now. Oh, boy. And I do love it. Okay, great. What? Well, do you hear that? Uh, I don't hear anything. What are you talking about? The music. These old ears. Ah. The music is coming down the hall. 
Ah, yes, I hear that. I hear it. And as you know, that means that it's time to feed the ghosts. It is. We are the ghost keepers, which means that we must feed them lest they eat us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It almost happened. And I don't want to be ectoplasm. No. One, one ghost tried to take a chunk out of Vince's arm the other day. It was not a pretty sight. Yeah, I didn't know they had such sharp teeth, yeah. these things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> takes all kinds in the castle. I guess so. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the Castle of Spirits True Ghost Stories podcast. Hey, everybody, check and see if you peed. I know I did, just a little. <laughs> check and see if you peed. <laughs> well... <laughs>